So you too could teach Bible class. If I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> I even had to download the app. <laughs> oh, Jesus makes me. All right. So about 10 or 15 minutes a piece, and I'm going to try and do this in eight so I can have a little bit at the end. Um, so, uh, nope, sorry guys, that is next week's notes. I'm ahead. Here we are. Uh, here we are. Okay. Um, so what we're going to do is just answer simple questions. This is just kind of facts. This is fun stuff for your knowledge to kind of know, um, who this letter is written to. So we're going to start with the where and the what. So the book of Ephesians was written by Paul while in Rome or um, to Ephesus while he was in prison. Um, the, uh, it was written to this church, and what I learned is that it might have been what's called a circular so it might have been a, a progressive letter that circulated to other places as well. Because what's interesting is some of the um, epistles that Paul has written or letters, there's an issue that he's addressing with the church at Galatians or Colossians or whatever. But in Ephesians, there's not really a specific crisis that needs to be managed. And it's more of a global look at the redemption story and kind of just an overall overarching um, view of the gospel and what it means to the church. And so I just thought that was kind of interesting that, that it might have gone around to different church because there was no email, there was no um, modern day. So it was letter writing even in that day looked a whole lot different than it does today. Um, the way that letters were written is that they were dictated to like a secretary, um, which was typically a man, uh, someone who was the follower of whoever was uh, writing the letter. Um, and it probably took weeks or months and probably there were multiple drafts of the letter that could have included even co-authors. There are some little pieces that we may or may not get into as we get into the book that aren't exactly Paulinian in nature, just little bits and pieces. But you know, you just kind of guess at that, and that's okay. Um, he definitely was the leader, the guider. Um, his voice is prominent in this letter. Um, also, the people, the letter carriers who actually delivered it to the churches were a very key uh, part of and a key role in how that letter was received by the church. Um, but we don't know who that person was um, that carried the letter to the Ephesians. Um, so that's who the, the kind of the church at, um, kind of how that letter got started. Um, now, uh, Ephesus. Who knows what modern-day uh, country Ephesus is in? Turkey. Um, Chris, you got it. Um, can we show? I'm going to show you a couple of maps just to kind of get you oriented. I'm a map person, and so it's always nice to know kind of where it's located. 
and um, because the nature of the church and just understanding the people there. Okay. Okay, so this is modern day Turkey right here. And if you'll see, this is Jerusalem and um, the Holy Lands, Israel. And so Paul took all these missionary journeys that are described in other books. And one of his missionary journeys was to Ephesus. He stopped there briefly. Well, I'll get into that in a minute. But if you, as you can see, this is on um, the water. And so uh, y'all kind of see where we're at. Here's Italy and such. So um, what's interesting, this is a very wealthy town because it is a port city. So a lot of wealth was coming in and out of the city of Ephesus. There are rivers then that carried those goods to different all over Asia. And there were also even overland trade routes that centered in Ephesus because this is where a lot of goods were delivered and then carried on to other parts of the, of the world. Okay, So that kind of gives you just a bird's eye view of where Ephesus was at that time in modern day Turkey. Has anyone ever been to Turkey? No, I've heard it's beautiful and really cool. Lots of neat, neat things there. So anyway, um, <laughs> oops, he'll go away in a minute. Um, I know. I'm glad this is it. Oh, there's my notes. There you go. Um, will it fade away in just a minute? Probably. Yeah. They're going to be distracted by that. Um. Okay, so this, uh, Ephesus was actually a Roman province. And what that means is it was under the government of Rome. Um, it was founded around 1000 BC by Greek settlers. Um, in Paul's time, it was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire and had a population of around 500,000 people. So it was a big city. It had Greek influence, and it was under Roman government. Um, it was a port city full of wealth and had trade routes to Greece and to Rome. So one of the interesting things that it will be good to keep in mind as we study Ephesians is that because of the Greek influences, there was a very large temple to um, Artemis that was located in Ephesus. Um, Artemis was a Greek goddess and the daughter of Zeus. So there's a lot of uh, idol worship and Greek mythology. Um, it was a huge influence in this city. Um, this famous temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world and it could house 20,000 or more spectators for things that went on there. Um, 
this temple was built AD 61 to 62, somewhere in that, in that um, time frame. Um, a little bit more about this temple. With columns 60 feet high, it was the largest building known in antiquity. It was not only a religious center, center but it also functioned as the banking and financial institution. Mm -hmm. The image of Artemis was featured on the coins of that day, and there was a month named for her as well as athletic games. She was the trusted guardian and protector of the city, so no wonder there was an uproar um, when the people abandoned their idols and started following Christ, because this was a very central to the culture of the people who lived there. Um, actually, in Paul's day, Ephesus was the center for um, the cult of Caesar, Caesar uh, Augustus, who was the Roman emperor. And he was worshipped even as a divine son of the goddess Roma. So it was all of this like modern-day government intertwined with Greek, um, the Greek gods. Um, so the church at Ephesus we have to remember, and was pointed out in our video, was made up of Greeks, I mean, uh, Gentiles and Jewish. So it was a Greek and Jewish audience um, that made up the church, and that we'll talk about more as we go through this semester. Um, okay, when was Paul there? He was there um, initially for a very short visit, found, and this is found in Acts 18, 19 through 21. Could someone look that up and read it out loud for me? Maybe Nate, do you mind? Sure. All right, do you have your Bible? I do. I didn't mean to call you out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Acts 18, 19 through 21. And this is his very short, like, he just kind of vacationed or something, I don't know. <laughs> they came to Ephesus and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and received the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent. But taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again, God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. Okay, so that just kind of, he taught a little bit in the synagogue and then, it, and then he moved on, okay? Um, where you can read about his time is where he spent about two or three years in this city, is it Acts 19 through... Um, uh, Acts 20 verse 1 and I highly encourage you to like if you want to kind of just learn about some of the things that happened uh, while Paul was at Ephesus read Acts 19 that's a good like background um, for that you can see what some of the events were and what the church was dealing with at that time um, yeah it kind of gives good background and a context for this letter all right any questions about the church at Ephesus? That was just a lot of factual information that will just make our reading a little bit more, um, I don't know, interesting as we go through. All right. Uh, yeah, so I, as I was doing this study, it's cool to, to, to see a lot of things that I didn't know. Um, anytime you read the Bible, I'm like, God, open my eyes, and every time he does, and uh, what I found to be fascinating was that Paul had an evil twin. Um, I'm just kidding. But Saul. <laughs> Saul. 
Saul. Uh, that was heresy. I don't even know. Um, Saul, right? I'm going to focus a little bit different, right? Uh, I've got to focus a little bit different. Um, so I want to answer the question tonight. Why does he persecute the church in the first place? Right? Like, as I read and I get to understand the character of Paul, like, why does he persecute the church in the first place? Like, what brings him to that place? And so we have to back way up. And the Bible doesn't give us all this. We have some, some manuscripts and stuff that kind of speak into Paul's life. But then we also get to understand uh, the Jewish culture. And that's what really tells us who Paul is, right? Is by understanding who the Jews were, understanding how they acted, how they functioned. And so um, what do we know about Saul? I'm going to talk about Saul first, and then we'll talk about his twin Paul. So um, Saul, Saul, he was short, that's like the only thing we get about Paul's like physical stature as he was short. Um, there's a lot of other documents out there that kind of talk about who maybe he was. But from scripture, what we get is that Paul was or Saul was, was short. Right. And so Saul is a young boy. Our best guess has um, Saul a little younger than Jesus. Right. Um, a birth date in the first decade. Right. The first century it's as close as we can get. We don't have like a, you know, a birth certificate to say this is how, when Saul was born. But we get kind of just a glimpse because of when he grew up and who he studied under, which I'll get to that in a second. He was born in Tarsus, right? as Kelly said, the province um, in, in modern day Turkey. Right? This is where Paul was born. He was a, a Benjamite. He was a, the Benjamite lineage and Hebrew ancestry. So there's certain activities, math, chess, music, where people, young people especially, can become prodigies in. But in Jewish families, studying the Torah was like that, right? Like those, those people that grow up that play violin and cello and, and these instruments or are really good opera singers and stuff, they study that craft so much, right? And they're doing it all the time. That's what Jewish little boys were doing, right? They were every day in the Torah learning about the one true God. So where does Saul go wrong, though, right? Because here he is. He's learning everything that happens in the first five books of the Bible. But at the age of 13, he was sent to Judea to learn from a rabbi named Gamaliel. I don't know if I said that right, but I'm going to guess that's what his name is. Under, right, who Saul uh, mastered Jewish history, right? He would have then studied the Psalms. He would have then um, studied the works of the prophets, all under this rabbi, Right? And so in Acts 5, 27 through 42, what we see happen is that Peter, um, at this time, delivered his defense of the gospel and of Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin. Well, guess who would have been there? Paul. Saul at the time. Right? Saul would have been at the Sanhedrin because G Gamamil, I don't know how to say his name, was there. Right? He was there. So then Saul was there. So he would have gotten his little first taste of the way of somebody defending the, the gospel in this instant, in this time, in this place right here. He gets just a little glimpse of the Messiah. So Saul would have had more than just head knowledge, right? He would have had more than just, okay, here's the Torah, memorize it. Because Jewish life was, was and is centered on the rhythm of prayer, right? If anyone been to Jerusalem ever, so in Jerusalem, um, I got to go, and it's crazy what happens. When the call of prayer comes out over the loudspeakers, 
People stop their cars in the middle of the street, pull out their mats from out of their trunk to bend down in prayer. Right? This is how dedicated the, the Jewish people were. And so Saul would have had more than just um, this head knowledge of the Torah. Right? We can see, I like the picture, like young Saul learning how to strap the, uh, the tefillin, which is a small leather box containing key scripture passages to the arm and head as Moses had commanded for male Jews when praying in the morning service. You see, the trouble was, though, that God's people seemed bent on wandering off in their own direction. Right? Think about the Old Testament. How many times the Jewish people, God's chosen, the Israelites, would just wander off. They would go and wander for a while, then God bring them back, and they'd wander off. And so they wanted to be like the goim, which is the, the word for the nations. They wanted to be like the nations instead of being distinct, right? Like God's people were called to be. They wanted to be like the nations. And so Paul or Saul would learn the tradition of zeal. And this is everything right here, right? Zeal is what happens. It's, it's part of the freedom story that it was God's people against the rest of the world, right? The Jews would have felt like it was them against the world, right? And so um, the problem was the rest of the world usually won. And Paul's father would have no doubt explained, the, uh, explained Sabbath by Sabbath that the world was still a threat. How do we know this? Because Saul's father was a Pharisee. This is the reason that Saul grows up to persecute the church. Because he would have learned what the Pharisees knew, right? And if anybody reads any encounter with Jesus and the Pharisees, we know that the Pharisees do not like Jesus, right? Because Jesus was there, according to them, breaking their laws, changing their ways, right? He couldn't have been the one true God, but he was. And so... Um, the more we read the old stories, the more, or the more Paul would read the old stories, the more he would see how the world would try to pull the loyal Jews away from the name, right, from, um, an, a, away from the one God. And we, by which Saul's father wouldn't just mean we the Jews, but we the Pharisees, we have to know the Torah and stay pure. And so Paul became a Pharisee just like his parents were. Our first meeting, though, that we get in Scripture, this is all backstory, right? This is, we don't even get this in the Bible. We get this because of the Jewish heritage, and we get this from other documents, but all of this from because of who Paul was and because of what we know about the Pharisees. And so it's cool sometimes when you read the Bible, it's not always right there in front of you, right, to know the character of somebody. Sometimes you got to dig a little deeper. Sometimes you have to go back to old manuscripts. Sometimes you have to understand culture and context. And when you get those things together, you can come up with Paul, right? And, and knowing, because I, I mean, how many of you even knew that Paul was a Pharisee before he became, he talks about it in scripture later, but um, most people would be like, oh, I didn't know that Paul, like otherwise I'm asking, because I asked myself the question, why would he even persecute the church? And now it makes total sense. He was a Pharisee. What do Pharisees do? They persecuted the church, or at least the church in, in our sense of, the way, right? Jesus Christ, following Jesus. Because according to them, they thought their way was the way, right? So, Acts 7 is our first meeting of Saul. And um, Stephen, right, he preaches this powerful sermon about Jesus. And the Jews, 
wanted to do what? Kill him, stone him, right? They were not happy, right? And so they threw him out of the city and they began to stone uh, Stephen. And so what was, what was Saul doing, though, at this time? Anybody know? Yeah, right? They, they laid his, their coats at the feet of Saul and he just stands there and looks on, which really tells us that what Saul was actually doing was approving of what was taking place. Right? It wasn't that he just stood there and said, oh, I can't watch. He was approving of the fact that Stephen was being stoned, that he was being killed. And so um, in Acts 8.1, revealed that Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen. Right? Does anyone have Acts 8.1 handy real quick? So much want to read that, and you can just see what I'm talking about. Anybody got it? You got it? No? <laughs> got it. Oh, got a piece. Okay. <laughs> Acts 8.1. Anybody? Real quick. Yeah. Just one? Yeah, 8.1. Yeah, that was it, right? That's how we know. Sometimes the Bible's so clear-cut, right? And I love that. Sometimes the Bible's like, here's the answer, right? So, and that's it, right? Stephen, uh, Paul approved, right? It says that he approved. Um, Saul wasn't content with um, just killing Stephen, though, right? He wanted to imprison and kill as many Christians as he could. And Saul became determined to eradicate Christians, Ruthless in his, in his pursuit as he believed he was acting in the name of God. And here's the thing. Arguably, there is nothing more frightening than a religious terrorist. Especially when he believes he is doing the will of the Lord by killing innocent people. And this is exactly what Saul of Tarsus was doing. Right? Acts 3 states, he began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He put them in prison. Galatians 1.3 says that Saul persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Like, I want us to get the, the full grasp here. It wasn't that Saul stopped at Stephen, right? He kept going. He said he, beyond measure. Saul's reputation as a persecutor of the church was well known. And so what happens? The church was scared of him. The church was scared of this guy named Saul. But here's the cool part. In Acts 9, the persecutor becomes the preacher. And I love this about Saul. It's a beautiful story of redemption. His character, right? On the road to Damascus, God spoke to him. And God said, why do you persecute me? Right? We know that he was blinded at this point. Ananias has a vision. They go to the house of Judas. He says he has heard many reports of this man named um, Saul of Tarsus, right? Ananias did not want to go. Right? And rightfully so. Here's a guy who's locking up Christians, beating them, whatever. Ananias said, no, Lord, I don't know if I should go to this house. Well, we know what happens, though, when God tells somebody to go. Right? They go. And so Ananias goes. Saul spends several days with the disciples in Damascus. Right? And the Jews wanted to kill Paul. Because at this point now, he's taken on the new name. Right? He's taken on the new name. And the Jews are upset. Because here's a guy who was just you know, a Pharisee, and now he's following Jesus. Transformation has happened. Um, at this point, he goes from the persecutor to the preacher. And here's the thing. What makes Paul such a good preacher is the zeal he has for God. All starts, though, when he's a kid. The zeal he had for God then now goes from the zeal of the religious law to zeal of the relationship with Jesus. Right? And I love the story 
the same zeal leads to the letters that we get. Paul writes this letter to the church of Ephesus around AD 62, right? Somewhere around that time, right? And Kelly talked about it, that he was in prison. The thing is, about the same time he wrote uh, Ephesus, the, church, the letter to Ephesus, he wrote also to the church in, um, in Colossians, and he also wrote the epistle to Philemon. So he was busy, right? Paul wasn't just sitting in prison, uh, twirling his fingers. He was encouraging the church. So this is Paul, a man who was zealous for the law and missed the relationship to a man who became zealous for God and yet understood that the law is still important. See, Paul's life shows us that no one is beyond the saving grace of God. And if we had more time, I'd love to unpack more of this. This is about four chapters of N.T. Wright's book. There's like 18 or so. Um, but Anthony only said I could have like 15 minutes. So uh, my time is up. <laughs> so this is Paul, right? This is the brief introduction. And there is so much more um, to check out just about his character and what he does. And, uh, and as we get in further into Ephesians, it's cool um, just to see. Here's a guy that, that hated Christians, hated them, and now is preaching the gospel with more zeal and more passion than anybody else in the New Testament, other than Jesus, right? And so that's Paul. Shelby's got a podcast. You guys can follow him. <laughs> Paul, the villain? No. <laughs> it's so cool, as for Shelby was talking about this whole... Uh, contrast between Saul and Paul and how a Saul um, encounters Christ. In Christ, there's a transformation that happens and there is a shifting from the way we see things to the way we see things. And it's so cool how Christ pursues us. And we look at the, the letter to the Ephesians, we see a lot of that happening where we live in the flesh and we live in the spirit. We live uh, in the things of this world and we live in the things of Christ. And it's so cool. Um, just a quick side note, I got to meet this afternoon with a gentleman that I just got water baptized. Uh, uh, he had uh, um, lived a life that was just in this world and he was running from God trying to prove that God did not exist and uh, the crazy thing is he never grew up in a Christian home he was never exposed to Christ but he was running from Christ and didn't uh, wanted to prove that Christ didn't exist um, long story short he had three uh, DUIs wrecked his car twice should have been killed does not know how or what, but he felt something stirring his heart to reach out to this guy who had talked to him about Christ one time while he was in a recovery center. And so he reaches out to him in his deepest moment and uh, asks this guy to pray for him because he's, he, he basically told me that I was just running ready to die. And he meets this guy who prays with him, spends two hours just praying and talking to him about Jesus, um, he ends up in Pittsburgh from the next Kansas in a recovery center and ends up in a house and ends up at Black Church looking for Jesus, meets him, gives his life to Jesus, gets water baptized, and now he's speaking to people that are 
addicts who don't want to hear his story about Jesus because, and here's the crazy thing, he hasn't even met Jesus completely. He just knows it. He senses it. He knows there's a God that loves him, that pursues him, that is after him, that wants a relationship with him. And there's a transformation that is happening in this kid's life. And so he was uh, learning how to read the Bible today. That is the power of Christ in us. The change that starts to happen inside of us. And we see that uh, in the letter to the Ephesians. And so I hope that you guys will, as you read this and as you dive into this, that um, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, that when we end in December, you're going to be two steps closer to Christ. You're going to be so much in love with him because of the love that he has for you, that you're going to discover how scripture is going to bring you into this vibrant relationship with Christ. It's going to be a beautiful journey, and that is our prayer for you. So um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time just because... uh, all of a sudden but the guy from Bible Project uh, Tim Mackey did a great job of the video and you will have that in a printed piece in your binder so you can follow along I also have made copies of my outline so that as you're reading through it this will kind of help you go oh yeah this is what they're talking about and even as we unpack so that will help you as well but just to run through that outline real quick and Tim kind of touched on this one thing also Paul always starts with a greeting, and if you look at all of his letters, it's so interesting just to jump back and forth between his letters and look at the greetings that he does, which is very cool how he starts by introducing himself and who the letter is to, and it's, it's really interesting. But chapter, uh, Ephesians 6 chapters is divided into uh, two sections, just like Tim said, chapters 1 through 3 and then chapters 4 through 6. The first three chapters are talking about the powerful principles um, that reveal uh, the believer's spiritual salvation in Christ, in Christ, and how we are transformed in Christ. And so chapter 1 talks about the source of our spiritual blessing. Our source for the blessing is in Christ. It is in Christ and through Christ that we are transformed. And he talks about how, uh, as a follower of Jesus Christ, how we are chosen and destined in him. And that's the beginning in chapter 1. And in in chapter 1, we also talk about, he talks about how we are saved and enlightened through Christ. Enlightened, given insight, given wisdom, uh, Christ insight to, and so I'm I'm hoping and praying as you, um, as we unpack this book and as you guys read this book and let it kind of marinate in you and change you that you will be enlightened to see through different lenses what Christ means to your life. Um, how we are unified. Um, I think he uh, said it really well. Uh, uniformity versus unified. And he, he repeats that again in the second half of the book too. But if you look at this room, we're all different people. We all come from different walks of life. We all have different personalities. But in Christ, we are one body. Because we all worship one God, one spirit, one Christ, one baptism. We're all one. We're unified through Christ. Isn't that beautiful? One family. I mean, when we get to heaven, we're all one family, right? I hope you guys like each other because we're all going to be together. Man, talk about that. How cool would that be? Um, and then Paul does this cool 
something he ends, and I think Kelly is going somewhere with this, I know, but he ends with this powerful prayer in chapter one, uh, and, and his prayer is of thanksgiving and his power and purpose for the church. And so Paul is like praying over uh, the church in Ephesus, and it, it's, so, it's just a beautiful prayer. And then we start chapter two. So all of that is in chapter one. And uh, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of see that. Chapter 2 and 3, he breaks it down in the results. One of the results of this uh, spiritual uh, uh, salvation or spiritual uh, transformation in Christ and through Jesus Christ. So what are the results? We, we are released from sin because we were in sin. So we're released from sin and, that, and now we have this new life in Christ. Um, and like Kelly said, they were living in this pagan culture. There was a lot of influences of pagan religions and pagan gods and, uh, and influences like we live in our world today. Right? So we're taken out of that world, just like the guy that I spoke to today, taken out of the, the, the bondage, the brokenness, and then there is this new life that starts to form um, in Christ. And then we talk about the, the reconciliation to others, which is so cool. Uh, and, you are saved in Christ Jesus, how we start to reconcile with our brothers and sisters in Christ because of who Christ is in us. We're one, right? And so it, it just the unity starts to start happening all over again. And then revelation from God's wisdom. Okay, He, he talks about how we get revelation uh, of, of uh, God's insight and wisdom for our lives. And then again, Paul ends chapter 2 with another powerful prayer. And, and, God, and, he's, uh, and he's talking about, he's praying uh, the Spirit's power over the people and, uh, and that they would comprehend the love of Christ uh, and how much Christ loves them. And so that kind of wraps up the first three chapters, or the first portion of Ephesians. And then we break into the second, which is chapters 4 through 6, which is practical instruction. How do we live this out now? Now that we're in Christ, now that we're a new creation, now that we're a new being, now that we are united in Christ, how do we live it out? Because actions speak louder than words sometimes, right? We, the way we live, the way we, uh, the way, do people see a change in us? And so, uh, first off, he comes again, uh, chapter 4, uh, the responsibility in the church for unity. And he's not talking about uniformity. He's not, and he even refers to uh, not talking about man-made unity because man can make unity through uh, processes and structure. But he's talking about the unity that comes by being in Christ. Because we have one God, one Christ, one spirit, one baptism. We're united in this one vision. Uh, I, I explained this to our staff and to our elder board. Uh, we're all different people, right? And we all have different ideas. But here's the cool thing. If we all worship one God, God's not going to confuse us by giving different ideas to each person and have different visions, is he? Because oh. there's only one God that has one vision through an organization. And so he's going to, he may bring it through different means, but what you start to see at the end is there'll be a unity that starts to form because we worship one spirit. Does that make sense? Because there's only one person communicating. So if we have multiple ideas and we have conflicting thoughts, the reason is maybe we're not in sync with the creator God. But when we all come in sync with him, there's a unity that starts to form. So I'm going deeper there. I'm not going to spend much more time there. But we talk about a new life in chapters 4 and 5. End of 4, beginning of 5, a new way of living. Growing in our personal purity, uh, living as children of light, 
versus in darkness, okay? That we're called to live in the world but not of the world. You heard that statement before? You, you, you need to be in the world to influence the world but not let the world influence you. So we used to live in darkness, we used to do the things of this world but we're coming out of it in Christ, now we start to live in the light. So we see that happening um, and then we see how he talks about being careful to live um, out of a, a spirit-led life, okay? And, and this is so cool. I think uh, Tim Mackey posted it right over here where he had the, the separation between anger and, and, and all the drunkenness and all these things. But spirit-led life, so what does he mean? That means there's a flesh and there's a spirit. The flesh and the spirit are constantly in tension because the flesh wants to do what we want to do as humans, right? We all have that, struggling with the flesh. But the spirit enters us and, and the spirit tells us, hey, here is how you line up with Christ. And so living in a spirit-led life versus a flesh-led life. So that's chapter 5. And then the end of 5 and 6 talks a lot about relationships. Husband-wife relationship. I mean, you we have read that. And then children-to-parents relationship. Slave-and-master relationship. And then chapter 6 ends with spiritual warfare. Okay? Who is our ally? God. He's on our side. No, if he's for us, who can be against us, right? The power that is in us, uh, in Christ, and then we ha do have an enemy. We're getting ready to start a whole series this Sunday. I'm super excited. Um, did God really say, is the title. We're talking about there is an enemy, and we need to know our enemy. We need to identify who our enemy is because he's out to get us. And so then Paul ends by saying, what equipment do we have to overcome this enemy? God has given us the tools that we need spiritual weapons that we can use to go against our enemies. So that's kind of, uh, and then he uh, brings it all to a wrap and puts it like a bow on it. So that's the outline. You guys ready for this? It's going to be so much fun. 12 weeks, or I should say kind of 12 uh, breakout sessions. So what is this going to look like? We have um, six chapters. We're going to break the chapters in half. So you have 12 uh, total uh, times that we meet. Okay, and uh, to, I know that all of us have different Bibles, so to help us all stay on the same version, so when we're reading, it makes sense, right? You still have your Bibles, bring your Bibles. But what we've done is that we've broken this down by week using the NLT version, okay? So uh, you'll have kind of the map of Tim Mackey uh, that he went over, you'll have that. Week one. Uh, lesson, uh, oh, that's a lesson. The reading for week one, NLT version. You can still use your uh, version of Bible. You don't have to go buy an NLT just for this, but if you want to, you can. You don't have to. Uh, but we have given you all the readings, so you, if you don't have a Bible, for some reason I'll touch on that in a second, uh, you can follow along. So each week you have readings. Now, here's something we're going to do a little different this time. Um, so next week, Kelly will be teaching on the First, uh, how many? 14. 14, thank you. First 14 verses of chapter 1. What she has done is that she has given you today for you to take home four reflective questions. Why is that? We want, uh, the whole purpose of this Bible study is one, so that we can learn God's word together, but two, is to equip you, the saints, to be able to read God's word and to discover it for yourselves, right? Because 
if you, that, that's, the, that's the whole goal. Because here's, let me tell you something, guys. Once you start to uh, discover things in God's word for yourself, you're going to fall in love with God's word, but you're not going to want to get away from God's word. Okay? So we want you to do that. So when you show up next week, we already want you to have read the first four verse, uh, 14 uh, verses once, maybe twice. You've kind of reflected on it. You've let it. And here's the cool thing. Let me tell you this. Read the first time. might not make sense. Read the second time. Start to make sense. Give it two days. Read it again. Then let it marinate. Let it just sit there and pray and ask God, God, before you read it, God, I want you to help me understand this. And let me tell you what will happen throughout the week. You'll get revelations. You'll get nuggets of things that will pop. Write those down. Reflect on the questions. Here's what's going to happen. When you show up next week and Kelly starts unpacking it, you're going to go, right, Mom, I already thought of that. Man, that is so, how exciting would that be? And like, I don't need you, Kelly. I've got this. No, don't need me. Please We do need you. We need Kelly. But you, you see what I mean, right? Because if you can get this, then guess what, guys? You can feed yourself. The goal is to help you feed yourself, right? Because when you can feed yourself, guess what? You can feed somebody else. You can do your own Bible study with another group of 20 people. Okay, that's our goal. Okay? So, reflective questions, reading on your own. What you put in is what you're going to get out of it. Amen. Okay? So, you can just show up, that's totally cool, but what you put in is what you get out. And God wants you to discover His Word for yourself, and He will help you uh, by revealing truth to you. Okay? So, I hope you would do that. Another thing, if you don't have a Bible, um, and if you can't afford a Bible, talk to us. But well, we want to highly encourage you to find you a study Bible. Okay? Throughout this breakout sessions when we do, Kelly, Shelby, and myself, we'll help you learn how to use a study Bible. We'll do cross-references. We'll talk about context, all of that. And we'll show you how this starts to kind of, we'll connect the dots. So if you're not familiar, if you're intimidated by a study Bible, Guess what? This is the safest place for you to start learning how to use a study Bible. If you don't know what study Bible to get or what you should, come talk to us. Ask us questions. We'll help you. Okay? Um, but there's a few versions that we can recommend. But uh, it'll be really good if you had your own study Bible and you can start taking notes from it. Okay? Any questions? It's eight o'clock. Okay, if, oh, yes, before we go, Kelly's gonna pray, but here's, here's what you need to do. Before you leave, if you can grab one book per family, and if you uh, are not, if, you, if, you, if there's a couple that doesn't get a book, let me know, so we'll keep track of that, and then by next week, we'll have copies for you. And then I'll also have the outlines right here for you to pick up, and with that, I'm gonna have Kelly come pray for us. Have a wrap. We will. We didn't have notes tonight, but we will, starting next week, like we did last uh, the last couple of studies, and hopefully we're going to get our act together so that there will be reflection questions 
from the next teacher included in that week so that you can have kind of a prompt to take the next set of scriptures and start unpacking it and kind of have a direction on what to do if you want to go that deep. Don't feel like if you don't have time to do that, you can't come. Obviously, just show up. We want you to be here. But we just also want to support deeper independent study as well. Um, Okay, I'm going to pray. I'm actually going to have Paul pray over us. (laughs) Um, But before I I do that, I want to say this. Um, There was... uh, the Shema, I think, is what it's called in Hebrew, and then Jesus in Luke 10, um, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should we do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what does uh, the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so I want to end tonight, I want to leave you with this. This is the fragrance I want to leave with, leave you with. Our goal is for not, not for you to have a bunch of head knowledge at the end of the semester. Um, I don't, we don't want you to approach any Bible study that way of just head knowledge. Our goal is to approach this opportunity for you to desire to become like Christ. Um, Jesus, (laughs) you know, in this story, he knew, he he baited this guy and said, I'm going to give you the answer. Jesus knew that we needed to approach all things of God, first of all, with love of him first and foremost at the center of our being. And then with our minds and with our bodies, that would then follow and empower us to love our neighbor. So there's kind of a, uh, this dynamic, um, all the parts of our body being working dynamically, not just our head alone. We would have failed at our job if y'all just leave knowing um, a lot about Paul's word to the Ephesians. We want this to get down and affect the way that you are formed in Christ. That's how we become a unified body. All right. So with that, um, this is the message version of Ephesians 1, 15 through 19. And this is going to be our prayer for the evening. Paul says, that's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I could not stop thanking God for you. Every time I pray, I think of you and give thanks. But I do more than thank. I ask. We ask that God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of his glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. These words be your blessing for this week.
Amen. Thanks for coming. Please come back. <laughs>